All right, so tonight, uh, Kendall has joined me from the UK. Kendall, how are you going, man? Hi, nice to meet everyone, and hi, Josh, how's it going? <laughs> Good, mate. Uh, yeah, we, we sort of got in contact through email. You, you, you reached out to me and Angel from the Hero Hammer fanzine and, you know, you know our, of our online presence, and you have your own sort of online presence, which I have just become aware of, which is quite exciting. So, mate, tell us all about how you got everything started, about yourself and, you know, about your uh, your gig, what you guys do. Sure, sure. So, um, I am a part of the online community Chaos Dwarfs Online. Um, and as you can imagine, those of you who are familiar with Chaos Dwarfs as a, a background, a concept and everything, you'll know that it's a range that has its roots, its modern roots at least, in 4th edition. Um, and in the kind of peak era of the mid to early late 90s that um, Hero Hammer as a, a zine and Crown of Command as a podcast represent. Um, and so I mentioned to, to the guys on our Discord chat, you know, have you seen this? And, and it turns out tons of the people who are in our community, which is still going after all these years, are big, big fans of that. Uh, some people call it Middle Hammer era. I'm not Josh sure what your perspective on on how to name everything is but whatever we want to call it chaos dwarfs online is uh, a board it's a discord channel it's a podcast it's a multimedia adventure um for everybody who loves those goofy dwarfs in their big hats um and it's been through many iterations over the years so i'm a very recent convert to it i joined it in about the last 12 months um, and we've come a long way in those 12 months. We've got it growing again, expanded and everything. But we've got a forum that goes all the way back to the mid 2000s and fans who go back all the way to third edition um, and the dark days of the mini Chaos Warrior version of the Chaos Dwarf concept. Um, so we wanted to get together, have a conversation with you, look at the army book, look at some of the cool things in the range, talk about Middle Hammer, Old Hammer, how it all relates and find out you know what the the vibe is with all the other armies that are still trucking in their fourth edition version after all these years wonderful mate okay that's great yeah because yeah your community is something that's new to me as well because um i was never aware that of, of all the armies that I, I could ever think of that chaos dwarves would have its own you know multimedia <laughs> community it's just so you know incredible to me um and I think we talked about it too. That you know, chaos dwarves. I don't know. It just they just did not appeal to me at all during the during yeah. the, the days. And I think, I, like I've never faced a chaos dwarf army. I've never seen them on the table. Yeah. So it's it's now become I don't know some kind of retro popular <laughs> army for people to collect. And even even in hindsight, now looking back, they do have a lot of appeal. There's something about that that army that has a lot of character. That has a lot of I don't know uh, charisma to it now. Yeah, I think I think the, the best way that Jack and I and the other lads in the podcast always talk about this is the reason that the Chaos Dwarf community is so resilient and in some cases appealing is because it's an army that's always been kind of last place. Um, and, and ironically, that's something that's carried on for a very long time. But if, if you focus on this core big hat 90s range, what you're talking about is a range that was brought out, you know, through a little bit of mismanagement within GW. And we've interviewed Rick Priestley and he's told us all the history of it, you know, that the hats weren't big enough. Nobody had reviewed the miniatures. You can read all about that in our latest uh, issue of our zine and our interview with him. But fundamentally, it was an army that sold poorly 
right? Didn't catch fire with a lot of people. And from that perspective, never merited its own full Warhammer Armies book. So it got a White Dwarf Presents Warhammer Armies Chaos Dwarfs instead of a proper Warhammer Armies book. Uh, came free with the magazine. Um, and from that point onwards, the tone was set, right? This was a minority concern. This was a strange thing that wasn't on the same level as everything else and then never registered commercially on that level either and as a result the concept was never revisited or not revisited for a very very long time until forge world um and we'll talk about that later but as a result you know the miniatures themselves are relatively rare right i don't know the details but i would say it was one big production run in the mid 90s i've been through all the old stuff legends catalogs and you can watch the decline from the launch of the range in 93 through to about 95 at which point almost none of the miniatures are still being sold a couple of things that are left over and i don't think there was any particular second wind that got into it as a, a commercial venture for gw and that adds a certain degree of cachet right because as a result because I'm a millennial, right? I'm 32 years old. I was, I was six years old, um, four years old, actually, for me, when Chaos Dwarfs were released in 93. I was. This was not relevant to me. I was not present for any of this to take place. But as a result, they became this forbidden thing. They became this army that you heard about, but you couldn't see. The miniatures were rare. The collectors were even rarer. Most people, if they bothered with them, they had to convert them. The Hell Cannon came out in the late 90s with three Chaos Dwarf crewmen as a nod to the old concept, but that was it. And so for a lot of the people who are fans of it now, it's because it's a bit hidden, right? It's because you wouldn't face them on a table, even in a normal fourth edition, fifth edition fandom group. Um, and that's what kind of brings us so much energy and freshness, right? Because as Jack always says, to be into it as an army, you have to do quite a lot of the work yourself which automatically means that when you meet a Chaos Dwarf fan up till the present day, you're meeting someone who's put in a little bit of extra effort, done a little bit of extra reading, done a little bit of digging around the edges, right? Saw the, the main thrust of the armies and thought, there's more to this. Um, and that's what I think attracts the kind of people that keep a community going all the way through the end of the world. End of the world was no big news for Warhammer Chaos Dwarfs fans because Fantasy Battle had already written us out, right? We had an army list in sixth edition Ravening Hordes, nothing else. And then Tamakan, Throne of Chaos, introduced a new range from Forge World. But it's always around the margins. And I think that breeds a kind of stubbornness to the culture that's uh, very dwarven. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why we have such love when we come to stuff like, uh, especially Hero Hammer, right? Because you read that era of White Dwarf, it's the contemporary era of White Dwarf that a lot of us grew up with and where we found out about the Chaos Dwarfs and then suddenly had them snatched away. Mm. Yeah, I've, I'm i hoping to either find a Chaos Dwarf player to experience Chaos Dwarfs on the tabletop, or <laughs> if I'm very lucky, and uh, get get some kind of chaos dwarf army. Because looking at looking at the army lists, you know, back in '93, mm. and I was talking to you about that just off air before that. You know, it's a bloody beautiful book, the chaos yeah. dwarf army book. It's gorgeous. I mean, it's all in color, which is quite, um, you know, for that era, uh, they were generally all black and white. They had a lot of color color plates in the book. They had a wonderful battle report with them featuring against the high elves. Um, there's some nice background information to them. So really it's, it's, it's very much a complete 
you know, army book in, in relation, if you compare it to all the other army, other books of that time and at that, that era. But yeah, there's, um, there's uh, you know, even the book itself is quite rare to find online. You know, you don't see that oh, many boy. books, you know, for sale or what have you. Yeah. Let alone the miniature. Yeah, tell me about it. Yeah. I, it's, it's a common thing. I actually don't have a physical copy. Um, and the reason for that is uh, I, I feel adequately looked after by the fan projects. So um, as I get back into it, I'm going to be a Warhammer Armies uh, project, eighth edition person to start with, with the next thing that I do. Um, but there's a lot to the existence of um, the army that is tied entirely to the content you find in the army book. Um, and it's a game of two halves with the collection. Right, because you have this core concept of these Mesopotamian chaos dwarfs with these ringlet beards and these big hats and these bull imagery and all of that kind of stuff. And then along with them comes their hobgoblin slave auxiliaries, right, who are so disgusting and distasteful to the other greenskins that they can't be taken in a greenskin army. And then you also have um, greenskin slaves as an army list option, right, which opens up a lot of different types of play because you could run this as a kind of classic dwarven gun line with a lot of stubborn infantry can't be moved um you know sit back artillery and casters hiding behind slow moving infantry that you don't really bother to advance or you can go with a much higher risk green skin horde strategy um, which, you know, there are special rules with animosity because of the way the hobgoblins affect the others. Um, there's lots of things you can do with, with the magic. Um, and you can end up running, you know, two armies that are both from the same army book that are, are radically different, physically radically different than, than a lot of what you'd find. And also, I think a lot of collectors, they are secondary fans of a greenskin faction. So for me, it's been goblins, um, common goblins, not night goblins. I've, I've got about... <laughs> i've got about 700 goblins um wow. <laughs> not not painted and based not painted and based josh are they metal, um, and plastic, I, metal and plastic uh i i would say they oh, are i would say i did the numbers here i'd say about 300 of them are metal wow um because you know how it is with a metal collection you want to have one of each sculpt right yeah um, and, and I think that's been my approach to it. Lots of them are from third party, right? Lots of them are from Kev Adams after he left GW and stuff like oh, that. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, and then I've got, uh, and of course, all the hobgoblins from the Chaos Dwarf era were, were metal. Then I've got um, plenty of plastic, don't get me wrong. Um, you know, I got some Mantic plastic mixed in there. I've got um, the classic, I would, maybe three of the classic common goblin regiment. Um, and then some Battle for Skull Pass. Uh, yeah out of the skull pass night goblins and stuff like that but they just build up over time nice well and, and i think it's one of those things worth noting that if you do find a chaos dwarf player they will often be playing with third party minis right because yeah the do. concept has been so resilient and so popular mm -hmm. um that tons of third party suppliers have said well if gw is not gonna occupy this hill will sell you something and they come and go over the years um and obviously gw returned to it with the tamarkand forge world resin uh chaos dwarfs but fundamentally rooted in this 90s concept is an aesthetic that is so distinctive um that it really plays out what i'm just going to do josh is i might just share my screen and show you an image uh from pdf if that's all right 
Yeah, sure, mate. I'll just, just share that. You can share now, whatever you want to do. There. Perfect. So what we're looking at here in this image, which is Ooh. one of the big full color ones you were talking about, yeah, right? right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what you're looking at here really is the whole range as it was in the 90s, almost, right? There's one thing missing here and that's, uh, well, yeah, one thing missing here and that's hobgoblin archers, foot archers. Because um, you've even got mixed bow and axe wolf riders, right? And here you see the aesthetic of the army in all of its glory, which is, look at those big hatted down the front, big, almost as tall as, as a, you know, a, a freestanding human miniature, just with half the height being hacked there's about seven sculpts in each of those regiments, two command sections. Behind them, you've got these barefooted hobgoblin axemen who are your basic chaff. And then you've got hobgoblins on wolves, which fill your light cavalry rolls. Up back, you've got your heavy cavalry, which are bull centaurs. Now, the idea with these guys is they've kind of been mutated by this minor chaos god, Hashet, that rules the chaos dwarfs. And um, they're half, half dwarf, half bull. Um, you've got two pieces of artillery, so the Earthshaker, which has been given a, a slightly less impressive than it normally gets position here on the side, but is one of the most sought after kits. You've got a, a rocket cannon, effectively, called a Death Shrieker, that's the light artillery piece. And you've got two monsters. You've got a flying bull, Great Taurus, and that's what your Lord rides around on. And you've got a Lamassu, which is based on an ancient Sumerian mythological beast that's, you know, basically an animal with the head of a person. Um, with a big beard and a big mutated uh, Chaos Dwarf face. And then your sorcerer rides around on that. Um, and what's interesting about the Lamassu from a rules perspective is it's also a wizard itself, as in the animal, um, which adds a little bit of spice. Um, and this was it. What you're looking at in this picture is pretty much everything that GW made in that Mesopotamian wave of Chaos Dwarfs. And this is what people want to collect, right? Seven sculpts of, sculpts of Bull Centaur, two pieces of artillery, two monsters with riders, and then some green skins and some basic infantry. And so I think one of the other things that appeals to people about it is if you want this picture, right, it's going to cost you. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it? It'll cost you. Yeah, I've like got one of most of these things um over time you'll find it but it's achievable right more so than say i want one of every regiment of renown from dogs of war classic right mm. and so i think the other thing about this as a side project is it appeals to a lot of those middle hammer people who are sometimes because uh, i set buy and sell miniatures right sometimes i get contacted by guys who are like what i would love is i'd love to create this picture right and then you work backwards from that and you say what's possible what's reasonable what's realistic um, and it's one of the first things that lots of people want to talk about. But yeah, you're absolutely right. It's very, I mean, if you're looking at this picture, you're looking at the aesthetic that, that you're describing. I think that's fair, isn't it, Josh? I think so, mate. Yeah, I was looking at that today. And I thought, yeah, that's, that's, that's what, is that 3,000 points, isn't it? Um, I'd say. And it's, probably, pretty, it's pretty much, it pretty much has every single figure that I probably would want to field in a Chaos Dwarf army anyway. And it doesn't actually have all the, the because uh, I've got, yeah, because one of the appeals, as you said, is, you know, you can combine your green skins with the Chaos Dwarves, which is, I think is a yeah. wonderful thing um, as I'm a green skin player. So, you know, I think it, it is achievable because if I take out, for say, if I take out the, um, I don't know, the Dwarf Warriors, for example, and replace those with some Black Orcs, 
and yeah. I take out the hobgoblins and I replace those with goblins, well, then, you know, that that collection becomes even more achievable for me, I think, you know, financially. I know it's quite, they're quite rare and quite expensive, but there are means and ways of actually getting those models, you know, if you really try hard enough and, you know, look in the right places, which we can probably touch on later for people those, for people who, who are sort of looking for miniatures like these nowadays. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, and the other advantage I think for Chaos Wars, what appeals to me too is like being a dwarf player. You know, the Chaos Wars sort of flipped that on that on its head, and you've got cavalry, you've got fast-moving regiments, you've got monsters, you've got magic, you've got some pretty cool, unique uh, war machines as well. So that that in itself becomes very attractive to me as an army to play on the on the battlefield as well. Yeah, and, and one of the things you find as well is because we've had fan-made rules for such a long time that, that the community's been kicking around for, what is it, coming up on 25 years or whatever, um, you, you're looking at a, a, a community that if you join it, you can kind of name your poison, right? So if uh, an aspiring new member wants to join the Discord or wants to join the, the forum, what you're going to find is a really accepting group of people who are going to say, okay, cool. So Chaos Dwarfs, that's a concept that you can interpret a hundred different ways. You could be a vintage fan. You could be a fourth edition fan. You could even be someone who wants to reach back before this range into the third edition Chaos Dwarfs, which as I mentioned, were very much uh, mini Chaos Warriors from the eighties, right? And, and you can do all sorts of stuff. And, and one of the things that um, we'll look at later is is some of the army blogs that the collectors and painters on on the forum have uh, have poured their heart and soul into um but we're a community i think that has that big focus on making the collection work for the collector in whatever direction they want to take it because we can't afford to be too choosy because we're on the outside right so yeah. this is not a group of players who have a problem saying, okay, how do you want to do this? Okay, you want to do it fourth edition here at Hammer. Great, fantastic. Let's go away. Let's scour the lists. Let's come back, bring some proxies, bring some original vintage, have a nice chat about the army that you're up against from the other person. Talk about what era of Warhammer you're trying to evoke, right? And then have an experience based on that that is by its very nature not hyper competitive because this is an army that's been outside of any kind of gaming meta for almost the entire duration of its existence, right? And most of most of our lives. Um, but that said, I think one of the other things that's really interesting about this group, I'm just gonna scroll through, because this is from the battle report uh, in the middle of the, the Warhammer Armies book, is it, it does carry with it, for those who are gaming fans, some, some interesting rules by Rick Priestley, which is basically shotguns. Um, the, the Chaos Dwarf Blunderbuss takes the role of the ranged infantry, the basic ranged infantry. You've got some Hobgoblin archers if you want some chaff, and that's fine. But um, one of the things that you will find if you are interested is that you've got this fire zone box whereby your regiment will just kind of unleash a big hail into whatever's in front of it, whether it be friendly or foe. Um, and that kind of anarchic vibe of we're going to do a lot of damage. Uh, and then we're going to pick up the pieces afterwards and figure out how much of our army is left standing as a theme that goes through the whole force because you know your sorcerers because they're dwarves they shouldn't be using magic they've exposed themselves to chaos they turn to stone right gradually over time within chaos dwarf culture if you use um, 
magic. And that means there's rules in there for if you miscast, your sorcerer might end up as a useless lump of granite. On the other hand, he might do a hell of a lot of damage. So it's an army that fits with what you're saying when you talk about the classic green skin collector wants to go in a, a new and interesting direction. Because if you're a green skin player, you're already comfortable with animosity, right? You're already comfortable with coming to play and creating chaos and maybe a bit of a mess and then just enjoying yourself while you do that. Um, and the last thing I'll say is that if you go through the rules, you'll find you can field full on regiments of um, your green skin. So you can have a goblin regiment, you can have an orc regiment, and most importantly, you can have black orcs. And the reason you can have black orcs is because Chaos Dwarfs invented the black orcs yeah. in the lore, they created them. Um, which adds a little bit of extra flavor and spice because you know you end up with pages like this of classic uh, metal orcs. I'm sure you actually, I think, have quite a few of these. Don't I you? do. I have all of those except maybe one yeah. with a dagger and the axe. Yeah, and and you see these guys kind of popping up in here because you know it, it's a collection where it changes direction halfway through. You, you might get done with the chaos dwarfs you want to do and think, okay, now I want to go in my own direction. Suddenly it becomes this green skin project along the side. And at the same time, you have a lot of flexibility with a large collection, which is, as I mentioned, is what I do, right? I got a lot of green skins, way too many green skins. But for me, that's part of the fun is being able to say, what am I gonna do when I meet my friend? Am I gonna take goblins? Are we gonna do Chaos Dwarf versus Chaos Dwarf? So we have a lot of fun with it. You can even do like like a rebellion game where you have like some there was someone playing the, the green skins versus the chaos dwarves. I was thinking about today because I didn't actually know until today when I was reading through the book that the black orcs were created by the the chaos dwarves. That's a very interesting take and turn on things, isn't it? Yeah, it did not go well. Yeah, it didn't. No, that's right. They've they've created their own enemy, really, haven't they? <laughs> and and I think for me, so one of the projects I'm working on just privately in the background, right, is I, I have a long running fiction series um, on the board. And one of the things that we're gearing up to do after our first, um, I say competitive, it's not competitive, but our first mass gaming event that we're going to have in Holland um, in April of next year, we're all going to meet together, lots of the Chaos Dwarf guys from the board. Um, is we're starting to look at narrative and how to play with all those concepts and say, okay, how do you make a campaign series that covers the green skins as they switch sides and the rebellion as it happens and all that kind of stuff. And really it's a community of people who are almost more into it for that kind of fun narrative play, um, yeah. which I think is a good thing because... Right there's a there's if you want to play fourth you want to play you know early editions and stuff like that then it needs to be people who get it they get that this is more about having fun than it is about making an ironclad list um, yeah. and i think that's one of the things that hero hammer does really well as a community absolutely yeah don't 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 play the old games for competitive play it just does not work um you'll end up making more enemies and friends i think when you play it that way <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, we just do like the drafting system with the drafting of the items and that kind of thing. You know, we have like really sort of fluffy narrative kind of scenarios when we can. And it just makes the game so much more enjoyable, so much more memorable. So that's what it's all about, really, isn't it? Um, but, yeah, good points you touched on there, mate, for the fourth edition book. I think it's it should be one of those those army books that people should have in their collection because it is it is a hidden gem that's been lost and forgotten and but um should not be for, you know should not be forgotten in, in many ways because yeah i've overlooked it but 
I sadly have regretted it now because it's got some really good content in there. Yeah, I think it's um it's one of the kind of rites of passage in the Chaos Dwarf community when when people join us and they're exploring it and they're still fresh. Maybe they had a podcast or they saw one of our YouTube collaborations or, or whatever, and they're like, I heard about this, it seems really cool, I want to find out more. And then they get hit with the price tag, right? And and I think you know. Those of us who are old hands in this game know how that's going to work. But one of the things that surprises people, because it's so out of step with the other vintage Warhammer Armies books, is the price of the, the White Dwarf Presents. But the reason for the price makes sense when you think about it, right? Because this was a White Dwarf Presents production, and therefore it was not treated as a prestige item by most people who bought it. If you think about classic Warhammer Armies books and why they come back onto the market, they come back onto the market because someone's got eight of them and they'll never use the fourth edition one again, or someone hasn't done the hobby for 20 years and opened a box and it's a book they had when they were a kid that doesn't mean anything to them anymore. You know, when you're talking about fourth edition Undead, which is a real collector's piece, I, I think you probably agree, Josh, you, you're looking at something that there was a big print run and it was sold commercially as part of the game. What to percent, you know, it came free. Most people who got a copy didn't keep their copy because it didn't have value to them. And it was for an army that fell out of use or fell out of relevance. And as a result, rather than there being any problem nowadays with demand, the problem that you've got is supply. Um, and that's one of the reasons why it, it is not part of a lot of people's collections. And I don't have it myself. Um, and I think, I think I don't aspire to have it in many ways because the copies that you can get might very well be quite dinged up. And I, I prefer to interact with it as it is captured in aspic in the PDF where it is kind of captured for all time in all its glory. Mm. Um, but it is one of those things where every now and again on, in the community, someone will post it that they've just got theirs. And, and the, the thing everyone's thinking is, how much? Because <laughs> it's one of those ones, and I really advise anyone who's a collector, if you see it at a price that doesn't hurt you, snap it up, because I guarantee you it's sold for more. Yeah. Um, and, and you might very well find that seller if you're ever looking to buy it or trade. But if you do have it, just remember how valuable it is if you get tempted to let go of it. Um, and if you ever want to find a good place where it will find a good home, Obviously, Josh wants a copy, but equally, you can find hundreds <laughs> of people. <laughs> you know, we've got, we've got, I would say we have about 150, 200 guys on Discourse and, and um, active posters versus lurkers on, on the forum. You know, it's, it's uh, low triple digits. It's a great group of people, but especially because it's a group of people that know how to get things done when it comes to finding stuff. You'll always find people who will take something off your hands. You'll always find people who will often to no personal benefit help you find a vintage piece if you're looking for it providing you're willing to be patient all of the chaos dwarf vintage stuff can be found um the, the most important thing to remember is patience is a hell of a lot more important than ebay prices you're going to go to ebay you're going to type in chaos dwarfs you're going to be upset by what you find don't let that discourage you we know where to find collections that people want to let go of uh minis that could easily be scrubbed of a dodgy paint job um all sorts of alternative ways to scratch the itch um and that's the kind of thing you can only get from those communities that have been plugging away in the background right all right well i need to go into the discord then and, and interact with some of the 
the people there to find out exactly where can I find these hidden treasure gems that uh, I can I can pick up for a, a bargain price. But yeah, um, I, I recently painted one. I think I posted up in your Discord actually of a the the, uh, the giant or the great Taurus is it the great Taurus? Yeah, the great Taurus, the big bull. Yeah, it's a wonderful model. It's the first first castle I've ever painted. And I, I I really enjoyed the experience of painting it. So I hope. I hope I can only, I can only hope that I can get to paint more of those in the future for myself, and make it my own little my little, my little wall band. Even if it's like a two thousand point army, I'm I'm quite happy. That's that's quite nice. It sort of re represents the chaos dwarves in every every aspect. You know, got some cavalry in there, got some light infantry maybe, and some you know some nice blunderbusses. Uh, bring all the nice yeah. toys, and yeah, you can have a good good fun. Uh, I, I think there's. I think I heard from one of my friends here in Japan. There's, there's a guy who actually has a, a full fourth edition Chaos Army somewhere here. I don't know where he is. I've never seen it, but I hope so, one day together and actually have a game yeah, with him. That is so interesting because I bet that I, I don't know that guy, but I bet that I've seen an image of him. Right. And the reason is because there is a famous image and he's got, He's, it's a Japanese dude. He's got he's got a whole classic middle hammer room, right? Set out. One of the things he's got on his wall is a Warmaster poster, like a big Warmaster wow. poster. You'll know this image if you ever see it. I know. And this another part. thing, yeah. yeah, right. And there's there's a framed up Chaos Dwarf White um, White Dwarf presents Chaos Dwarfs poster. Um, and I don't know whether it's the book and he's put it in a frame or, or whether it's an individual image, but um, it did the rounds because he bought, do you, you know about this thing where you can get any white dwarf cover painted on a t-shirt? Yeah. You're getting green screened out there, mate. Yeah. Sorry, but it's, it's our man. Our man is the, is the guy that I met um, on Twitter. And okay. because most most Japanese gamers are all on Twitter, mate. They're not on Facebook. They're not on any other. Right, right, yeah. Twitter, and he's got the most amazing collection of miniatures, like beautifully painted too. Wow. Um, of fifth edition stuff, because I think fifth edition was the first sort of edition that broke into Japan, like through the translation okay. kind of era. Yeah. Um, I don't think he has a Chaos Dwarf army, sadly, but he's got okay. some. He's got he's got chaos and high elves and empire. I think there is the three main armies that he has. Maybe something else as well, but they're all beautifully painted. Yeah, really amazing. Yeah, I think it's one of those things where, like, as time passes, the the relevance of the army is going to shift because we're about to be, and some of us are excited, and some of us are battening down the hatches, and I'm both. We're about to be bombarded by Total War Warhammer fans. It's not coming soon, but it is coming. And you, you heard our podcast with Sotek. He's, he's very big in that community. Um, but it is coming. Well, he has his whole career to it at this point. Um, it is coming, I would say, within two years um, as a downloadable content race pack um, that's going to be the first time that people have officially investigated the Chaos Dwarf concept since 8th edition Tamakan Forge World range. Um, and I think it's fair to say that they're not just going to revisit the 8th edition Tamakan version. They're going to revisit everything that you've got behind you with the big hats 
and the tourists and all that kind of stuff because if they want to make a video game they've got to have all sorts of units and tamakan was a limited list that was designed to be released in a particular way and then forge world went in a different direction and how that affects the fandom is not clear but it will also do something to define a restatement and a remastering of something that got very little attention. Um, I don't know if you're aware of what they've done with uh, Vampire Coast, Josh. I'm not, not, not aware of that, sorry. Okay, so, so all I will say is they took the concept of Luther Harkon, which comes from vintage White Dwarf articles, and they turned it into a whole army and a whole faction and invented units and mastered law and all this kind of stuff. And there isn't that much for Chaos Dwarfs, right? You've got the contents of the book that we've just been talking about. Then you've got the contents of Tamakan, the Throne of Chaos, which was released much later as part of the very dog end of 8th edition before end times. That's it. Those are the official sources. And you've got a couple of White Dwarf articles in the 80s that aren't connected to the Mesopotamian concept. And so Creative Assembly, GW, working together, they're going to come back to this. And I have no doubt that as they evolve it towards the old world, they're also going to change it to some degree. It's going to be really interesting to see what they do. But also from a trading perspective, it's going to be really interesting to understand whether the total value of classic 90s vintage big hats is going to go up or whether it's going to go down. <laughs> yeah. And my, my gambit would be probably going to go up yep. just because the number of eyeballs alone is going to create new demand and there is not a healthy type of supply into the market there is just stuff that people never got around to painting stuff that comes from great market sources and not much else um and from that perspective i think if you are interested i think get involved in the community now because the community is still made up of those parochial tabletop types you know what i mean who are excited by the concepts and and they love the vintage stuff and stuff like that they haven't been drowned out by the fresh blood and we're excited about the fresh blood but he's going to change things and move the storyline along and there's something you know from the 90s that that you guys have done such a fantastic job of preserving at a whole level and that quite a lot of people in our community they want to preserve slightly narrowly on chaos dwarfs in itself because it's a concept that's been battered by the winds of time well wow. okay nice uh yeah uh now personally speaking i've never played the the um the computer game but i can i can sense from the podcast i listened from your you guys there that it seems to be yeah it's it's, it's exciting people and building a bit of a hype there so i hope it will fulfill the the dreams and wishes of all the chaos dwarf players out there uh including yourself and yeah i would say mate that definitely it will spike up sales mate like you know the prices will just go up through the roof if they're not already then they're going to be you know <laughs> yeah they're already pretty high. yeah um but uh there was a 3d printed version of these this type of fourth edition army that some person had done and you probably know who I'm talking about, but I can't remember the name. Yeah. But, um... So the, the concept's been visited quite a lot of times. Yeah. Um, and it continues to inspire people because there's so much Mesopotamian stuff to draw on to take it in your own direction. So there are lots of different ranges. What I would say, without wanting to get either of them in trouble with the IP police, is that if you like 
the Mesopotamian aspect and you 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 want something epic and you know kind of ziggurats and demons and all that kind of thing then there's a maker called lost kingdom miniatures now uh, hero hammer fans will also know lost kingdom because they make a fantastic set of bretonians they make a fantastic set of wood elves um the guy's a digital sculpture operating digital sculptor operating out of spain um and he's known for the massive epic sweeping nature of what he does but it isn't quite on the fourth edition end. And since we're here with you, Josh, the, the supplier that I think fits the fourth edition version of the aesthetic best is a guy called Fabelzel. So F-A-B-E-L-Z-E-L. Type that into Google, you'll find him. Um, and Fabs is great because first of all, he's in our community, so we know him really well. We've we've met Lost Kingdom, or at least digitally met him. We've interviewed him, but um, you know he's off doing all sorts of ranges. But Fabs has a, a love for the big hats and the hobgoblins as they were presented back in the nineties. And Fabs' stuff, he has a Patreon that supports him in his creative endeavors, but he gives the STLs out for free. Wow. So if if you well, he's he's a passion guy, but then also we're the kind of community that probably puts more behind him on patreon precisely because we wouldn't have to you know what i mean mm. if someone can't or doesn't choose to they still get to enjoy the miniatures and grow the community and as a result that generates a lot of goodwill that makes a lot of people really happy to interact with them um the other option people have if they want physical miniatures is is a guy called russian alternative his name's sergey um you can find russian alternative again if you're a classic fantasy fan you might have seen russian alternative before um, he does stuff that's not Chaos Dwarfs, but I think it's fair to say that his Infernal Dwarfs of Fire Canyon, I believe they're called, range is uh, <laughs> is his biggest um, and, and probably one of his tent poles at this point. Um, and there you can find all takes on that aesthetic that you're seeing on the, the cover of the book, right? They're, you know, people, they'll make a, a Taurus because they can take it in their own direction. Oh. Speaking of Tauruses, you can also find similar miniatures on Skybor, which is uh, a famous Polish maker, S-C-I-B-O-R. And if you're listening to this in November of 2021, he's actually got a Black Friday sale on right now that makes his prices a bit better than they normally are because they're quite extreme. Mm. But fundamentally, you know, Fabs is the person you're thinking of, Josh, because Fabs is the guy who has set out to say, I liked it the way that it was, actually people can take it in their own direction they can make it grimmer and darker and more evil all this kind of stuff but i kind of like the proportions i like the the big goofy face floppy hats on the hobgoblins let's just do that again um he's done a fantastic job of it um i don't have any yet that's because i don't print um i got mates who print who say they come out really great um i don't know whether that's something that you guys in in Crown of Command and, and the kind of gaming community that sits around Hero Hammer, I don't know if printed minis are something that I see too often in the articles that you guys have. Is it a big thing that you're into? It's not because, but but I think it's just becoming a more of an inevitable thing thing that's going to happen. Um, you know, I think this the scanning the original models and printing them out has become more controversial, mm. but. Uh, but I think for creators like like him that are creating sort of the, the fourth edition aesthetic, the 90s aesthetic, and having new ranges, I think, yeah, why not? I mean, that's 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 I think that's wonderful uh, that people are still doing that. I mean, it really amazed me when I saw 
what he was doing and um, the style that he was doing it in. The quality of the miniatures looked really, really nice. And for the first time, I found something that I thought, you know, I would be tempted just to just to grab a few of those and just paint them up and just see what they look like because, yeah, I love my metal models. Um, you know, uh, you know, I, I'd love to get the originals, but if they're just so financially unattainable, then this is a wonderful alternative. And I hope he does more ranges of different models, like the fourth edition dwarf range, for example, which for some people may be just way out of their reach financially, where if he could design a range that matched the aesthetic of the, of the Marauder Dwarves and the Citadel Dwarves of that period, then I think he'd find a, a bigger fan base, you know, and he did like the Empire or he did um, things like the, um, a lot of the Chaos stuff like uh, Beastmen and, and Chaos Warriors and that kind of thing, which are just extremely expensive if you want the original stuff now. Yeah. That kind and, of yeah. And I I think there there are so many different ways to to skin that cat, as it were, right? Because you can you can approach the fourth edition aesthetic and say, I would like to buy these as they were. You can approach it and say, I would like to find makers of STLs who are inspired by that era and have that focus. You can find people who are like, I want something that will proxy, whether it be from historical or, or, or wherever else, that I can then convert up with a few, you know, judicious bits of work. Um, I think the thing that matters uh, and that I've found so great when communicating with Angel and, and all you guys is, is, as with our community, it's one where you come with a, a concept and the people you meet will all have a different thing that can help you to realise it, right? Mm -hmm. And so printing's not for me personally. Running a resin printer isn't practical with my house, which is two stories up a building. So airflow with a uh, devoting a room to a resin printer, you know, that's not something for this stage of my life. Mm. Um, but my friends who have them swear by them, right? And and the grand that they sink into their printer is is cash that I spend on other people doing that work. So it's, it's about what you want to get out of it and what your goals are. But um, I do definitely think that as time passes, you see a lot of these people catering to the old Warhammer fantasy crowd, who I think it's fair to say, you know, are a mature group. who have got quite deep pockets, right? They're willing to pay. Um, and I think that's what's brought GW back around to the old world um, and quite how the old world does and what it means and what the miniatures that are that relate to it and all this kind of stuff, we don't know. And we'll have to find out. Um, I've, I've been meaning to ask, I mean, you guys very much, you focus on this era specifically. So I would imagine in your community, the old world doesn't really register on the radar a huge amount other than the miniatures that it might release because you're going to stick with the rule set that you enjoy anyway, right? Yeah, that's, that's kind of a thing. Like, you know, I've been thinking about what they're going to do and what it's going to be, what the initial product will be launched as. But I don't think it will replace the love of my Warhammer. It won't be the same. And I think it's, it's, it's not just that. It's just like sixth edition wasn't my Warhammer. Seventh edition, eighth edition wasn't my Warhammer. So, um, and that's nothing against you know, GW and what they're doing nowadays. It's just probably just, it's very different. Well, it, it does just it doesn't match my kind of play style or, the reasons why I got back into doing this was 
because I wanted to play the old systems. I wanted to play the, the games that I thought were um, just gave me more enjoyment or had, you know, the memories were there. And I think anything new related to Warhammer in whatever it might be, just don't have the same kind of gravitas or the same kind of the memory triggers that um, nostalgia plays in your mind when you play those games of the 90s. It doesn't have that. It's for a new era of gamer or it's from for you know people people in the market who are sort of coming into Warhammer from Age of Sigma and that kind of thing. So I don't know. It, it's going to be... I, I was actually really hoping they're going to change the scale and just make it a completely new game. I was really hoping they're going to make it like a uh, an epic scale game. That, that would probably appeal to me a lot more um, personally, but, you know, and, but yeah, we'll see what it comes out to be. You know, it might be something that, and I'm not going to buy it. I'm not going to buy any miniatures. I'll, if, if Justin, one of my mates, Justin here, or Paul wants to buy it and buy the core set and say, you know, I'll bring it around and we'll have a game of it and I can use all my existing models. Yeah. I'll give it a go but I don't think I'm going to enjoy it as much as I do with the old system. So how about yourself? And, and just, well, I mean, for me, I'm coming. So I, I didn't tell you guys the, the, the backstory for me personally, which isn't very typical from the board, but like I came back to the hobby like two years ago after a 15 year hiatus after growing up. And I think a lot of people, especially in their thirties will identify with this, that like I couldn't afford Warhammer when I was a kid. I had like what I begged, skill or borrowed from you know my more affluent mates who didn't care about the the minis that they lost interest in um and then mostly i just watched it from the sidelines by reading white dwarf right and and from that perspective i came back to it without well you know with some play memories from stores burning a hole in my pocket nostalgia wise but it was just one of those things where i was like i want to do something crafty i want to paint and sculpt and and convert and drill and all this kind of stuff and i got the spare time why not and uh, X grand of hobby money later, here I am with my <laughs> hobby desk and my lamp and a, a, a wallet that no longer I have to drag around on the floor because of how much lighter it's gone. Um, but I think everyone on this, you know, empathizes with that, right? I've chased every Kev Adam sculpt um, I can to, to hell and high water. And that's been the hobby, almost collecting has been the hobby for me. Yeah. Um, but what I would say is I didn't play fantasy during that era. My recollections of fantasy are minimal, but they probably come mostly because they come from the old days when a GW store would have two tables, right? And they'd have some 40K ruins that looked like a church that was all sprayed gray. And they'd have a nice green field where your goblin green fantasy game would take place. And maybe they'd switch out the trees to do Warmaster when Warmaster is released and all that kind of stuff. And I had some forest goblins. I had about 20. There's a mix of bows and hand weapons. And I'd add them to the line of whatever more green skinny looking army there was. And then they'd all die. Um, and, and it was fun. But like I don't I wasn't beholden to the game system. So for me, I'll be interested in Old World because I'll be interested in how it compares to Warhammer Army's project, uh, to the fan books that we have, um, to 8th edition Tamakam. The thing that we're going to do in April is going to be 8th edition. Why? Because we polled the community and the, the thing that most people had most experience of was 8th. And one of the reasons that I wanted to come on your show and talk to you specifically, Josh, was because we have fans of the aesthetic of the mid-90s like me 
who don't know gaming in the mid 90s in the way that your community does and i wondered if you could tell the people who've kind of followed me to watch this podcast if you could help them to understand what makes fourth fifth edition that era that you focus on the most so flavorful and fun because they they have the rule book they will learn they can find pdfs <laughs> their sensor yeah. of their center of gravity is is on eighth right now because in many cases that's the thing that they're familiar with. So what made it different? Why do people call it Hero Hammer? And like, what does it have to commend itself to to, to gamers? Uh, that's a good point because I you know I didn't really think about that until you know coming back into the hobby, coming back into like sort of the '90s gaming era, because you know we all got caught up in well I did anyway got in caught caught, caught up in other games after leaving Games Workshop either for like painting projects and later it became infinity um that's way back in second edition that it became more of a competitive you know uh its style game and i think a lot of the games like eighth edition and sixth edition were sort of catered for those competitive players you know because it became more of a yeah, tournament scene you know and people went to tournaments to play competitively and they they sort of balanced the lists and they sort of uh you know, sort of created the rules around and the amulets around, you know, uh, people who played competitively. It became more, more focused on that than more of the narrative style play. Uh, fourth edition in its roots, I think, you know, listening to Rick Priestley and some of the interviews that he had. And if you read even, if you read even the books, um, you know, they're basically saying, hey, these are the rules. If you want to change them, feel free. They're just basically like a, a sort of a guideline. You know, if you want to change something to, you know, to match your theme or style or the way you want to play, go for it. Um, I think, you know, Nigel Stillman and, and Rick Priestley are sort of big advocates of that kind of style of play. So those games like fourth edition and uh, even third edition really are sort of more narrative-based games. So they weren't really um play tested for tournament play so much so they came in a lot of problems i think with tournaments that <laughs> the things that you know people would were breaking the game because they'll they'll taking certain com combinations of magic items or units that just made it um uh, well gave gave people really bad memories of maybe a fourth edition i think it's got a bit of a bad rap um to be honest and a lot of people sort of came away thinking oh this is a horrible game but in in its essence it's not it's really a, a wonderful wonderful spirited game because it was created by people that really uh wanted to enjoy and experience more than a tournament style you know equally matched kind of a setting um so there's a lot of flavor there's a lot of characters they they really made these um you know uh, magic items which are just crazy if you look at them now but they, they all had its place what, what are you thinking of when you think crazy uh like you know like the forbidden rod for example i think it was one of the the items that were um uh sort of blacklisted in uh, one of rick's yeah. articles in 222 they had to they had to tone down a lot of these really powerful weapon uh, magic items because yeah they would they would just ruin games for people you know um you know that basically cast spell with total power now total power in fourth edition because fourth edition magic and fifth edition magic was completely different from all the other editions so you had it's all card based and um uh, and i think from sixth edition onwards it's all dice based 
that total power just meant that you just couldn't dispel the spell when it was cast. So if you had the forbidden rod, uh, you, know, you had to make a roll, of course. If you roll a one or two, it would, um, you know, it would it would break the item, and you you'd get a wound or something like that. I think from memory, but um, yeah, they had they had a few items that were very very powerful, and because because they were so powerful, uh, power gamers back in the day, the neckbeards, as uh, the Deborah narrator would like to call them, they would take them all the time. So you'd have these sort of preset items that people would take. You know, they'll have these ward save items that would make them very inv uh, invulnerable, like uh, black amulets. And then they'll have some very powerful sword, like a Hydra sword. And, you know, you, you, your sorcerer would be tooled up to the max uh, to make them almost unkillable, riding some Hydra or Manticore or something like that. So it was the real Wild West of Warhammer. Um, that's probably the best way to define fourth and fifth edition. But... The designers never meant it to be like that. You know, they never meant it to be. If you look at the White Dwarf battle reports from the 90s, you could see the flavor. You could see the, the, the unbalanced um, point values of both sides because it wasn't really a, a major issue who would be the most strongest or who would be the most powerful in, 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 a, in a particular scenario. It was based, okay, this is the idea. This is the concept. These are the forces we have. Okay, let's, all, let's get them all together and just, just play a game and have fun. So I think that was probably the main 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 difference. I think. Interesting. So, it sounds like what you want with with a kind of classic hero hammer game. First of all, is you want to have your character driven play, right? You want to have your that I've invested points and time into these characters, which then, if if I think about it and I step back from it, lends itself naturally to narrative play if these characters are having such a huge effect on the outcome of the battle and if the magic items that they have are, are potentially capable of completely changing what happens in the game, then it's a system that's maybe more amenable to telling stories and to a mixed campaign or, or keeping a campaign log in a way that maybe some of the later editions, which focused a little bit on pushing miniatures and having a big 80-man strong banner of the World Dragon Regiment in the middle of the board, <laughs> makes it hard. Does that make sense? I think so. I think it does, yeah. I think from 6th edition onwards, like Thomas Purinan took over the Warhammer development. Yeah. And yeah. You know, he came from a more of a tournament-based point of view. And... I think marketing-wise, they wanted to sell more models because you know that was yeah. their kind of that's that's their kind of thing. You know, the rules won't sell that the rules don't make the money; it's the miniatures that make the money. Yeah, and they want more more models on the table. So uh, that's basically their sort of driving angle, uh, sales-wise, about marketing-wise. With fourth edition, you can get away with having like we we looked at the um the 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 chaos army for fourth edition. That was three thousand points. There's not that many models. You know, you can get away with quite a small, especially chaos. You know, you can get a, get away with a very small amount of models. But uh, orc and goblins might be a different contrast in in terms of points. But um, you could have smaller armies. You could play fifteen hundred points. We we play fifteen hundred points, and it's it's a really nice, enjoyable match. You know, for a couple yeah. hours. Yeah, it's really good fun. But you know, you just make it how you want it to be. You know, you you can make it very competitive like the math hammer guys at the um the flail of cast a uh, flail of skulls uh, podcast i'm sorry um talk about where you can sort of tailor really tournament based lists or you can play it like we do where we just play it very 
very loosely and you know just just for a laugh and having having some fun which is i think in, in essence the 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 main reason why we play games like this you know interesting okay well i think that's really exciting i think if there's people from the board who are listening to this who have history and pedigree with that kind of thing um then definitely check out the the stuff that josh has got going on and, and especially i think read the magazine because it's such a lovingly created um and and wonderful rendition of white dwarf as it was then um and i think the most important thing that i'm going to take away from this conversation that we've had josh is that when the time comes to make my big narrative campaign um hero hammer is a great era for me to be gaming in because those characters that we build the story around are going to have the power level that means that they reshape the board around themselves and it's going to make the story more character driven than if they just end up dead under a pile of goblins which is probably what would happen if i tried <laughs> to do the same thing in eighth it's probably also what's going to happen to me in about 20 years but we'll have to see yeah. how that goes. <laughs> I think I think all of us are in the, in the hobby for different reasons. Some people are just in it for just collecting and painting. I mean, like you said, like the collecting is a, is another sort of aspect of the hobby Absolutely. that people enjoy. You know, I I've actually enjoyed doing that too. You know, for the last few years, collecting bits and bobs that I've always wanted, um, and completing collections or it might be, and still collecting. You know, that's 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 another part of the as another aspect of the hobby that's very enjoyable. It takes a lot of time, but and a lot it costs a lot of money, but um yeah some people don't even play the game some people just <laughs> collect the models paint them up stick them in a cabinet and just be happy with that uh, yeah but i mean right now as yeah. a three-stage hobby i'm at the part where you collect them um painting is something i'm gonna have to learn <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah paint is not for everybody i i can totally understand that um yeah. well it's for me it's about setting aside the time making it happen uh, I'm, I'm calling my own bluff on that one because um my blogs so so what you do let me just share my screen one one more time because we're coming to the end i think of of uh, of the stuff that i wanted to talk about um and what we're looking at here is we're looking at, at chaos dwarfs online the board now you know there's a facebook group a discord chat room full of idiots um myself included <laughs> chief among them. Yeah. um i love that i love it it's my, me and most of my friends spend most of our days in that discord on and off so i'm saying that from a place of love um, and and this is kind of where we kind of congregate is the board. And the board is where you set up your blog, right? And I'm not going to, you know, drain it, but my writing series is on this background stories and art section, right? And that's been really fun. Um, just past 3,000 uh, readers of that. Um, if I then go into the miniature showcase, this is really the capital city of the um, of the board, right? And what we we often do with new people is we say, um oh well when are you going to start a blog um and really what that means is fundamentally what have you got to show what are you working on what are you interested in and then your blog as with so many other boards and forums becomes a place where you make that that log and what you would find if you went through this is some of the most beautiful miniatures that i've ever seen in terms of the design but also a huge amount of diversity in the direction that people take it in you've got goblin green bases in here you've also got you know people who sculpt things lovingly in our painting competitions all the time um reaver's blog at the top reaver who's also on our podcast is, is a good mate of mine and it's um by far the, the most viewed um because of the conversion work that he does but 
fundamentally, you know, the thing that I think um, the bluff that I need to call is that I started a couple of blogs on here and they're just the list of the miniatures that I bought. And it's my effort to kind of egg myself on and say, I've embarrassed myself in front of everyone by admitting how many miniatures I now have. <laughs> and now I have to chip away at the gray mountain and, and eventually over time, turn them into something as impressive as if we look at Eddie's blog, um, you know, all of the vintage stuff that's being created, people making their own STLs and printing them and then painting them up. Um, you know, people doing, this is my favorite thing Eddie's done recently, right? He's taken a, a Skaven um, warlock engineer and converted him into a hobgoblin, but you got blood bowl teams, everything from all over the era that explores the concept. And then, you know, obviously we have the off topic showcase. If you've got some second edition Imperial Guard or something like that, that you want to show from, from other game systems as well. Um, and I know I'm, laying down my challenge to myself on your podcast, Josh, to say, I know I need to paint something and post it up here. Um, but I think anyone who's halfway interested in, in Chaos Dwarfs should consider doing the same. If they want to collect some, they can find people in the direct messages or on the marketplace thread who they can speak to about what to find and how to find it cheaply. Um, but then equally, you can just have a, a really great time, you know, looking at some really, really special miniatures. Um, join the painting contest. Um, I've encouraged everyone from our community to join the, the ones that you guys have had as well um, and just take whatever range you choose to collect in whatever direction you want to take it. Nice, but yeah, I, I still can't get over this. There's such a massive community just devoted just to Chaos Dwarves. It's incredible. Um, I, think, I think the thing to bear in mind is that like active posters and, and, and all of that kind of stuff you're talking about, um, dozens, not hundreds, right? But yeah. then... The Facebook groups about fifteen hundred people. You know, some of the the fiction has got two and a half thousand readers, but those people usually don't speak. We recently emailed everyone from the old community from the board and forum that that we're shutting down now, and and we we converted it all over in our big archive. But as you'll see, the archive community awards go back to two thousand seven. But if you think about how the army back goes back to nineteen, the army book goes back to nineteen ninety four. You know, there's there's a lot that's built up over the years the yeah. key thing is if it didn't happen here in the world of chaos dwarfs probably didn't happen right there are <laughs> a huge number of people who are still paying attention to this army outside of this tent um and we look for opportunities to bring new people in which is what we thought when we when we were reading you know your magazine and listening to your podcast we thought we bet there's an exchange of value that can take place here um, and we look forward to seeing lots of new Hero Hammer people if they want to come and join the party. Mate, they're more than welcome. So, yeah, we would love to see it. Um, so, again, yeah, if, if, if your community are interested in, in the Hero Hammer age, uh, it's not, you know, totally inaccessible. You can find the PDFs of the books. And it's mainly just the... The, the magic system, which will probably be the most difficult to source because you need the actual set because it was sold is as an actual Storm box. Of magic? Sorry, what's that? Is that Storm of Magic or what was it called? Uh, the Battle Magic. Uh, so it was called, uh, yeah, Warhammer Magic for 5th edition and Warhammer Battle Magic for 4th edition. So wow. uh, they're two different sets, but they're both compatible. Like if you had one or the other. Oh, nice. both one because there wasn't there wasn't much of wasn't a massive difference between fourth and fifth in terms of rules or magic they were very very similar 
Um, so if, you know, but you can print those out, you know, you've got plenty of files on our, on our Hero Hammer groups on Facebook, you can print those out and, uh, and just get a pair, just get it like a, uh, set of playing cards and you can make those basically into a winds of magic uh, deck and that kind of thing so there's ways and means of, of getting around it and um, i hope and i encourage and I'll, I'll get onto your discord and start you know uh plugging away uh, on there about you know this kind of thing and maybe sharing some files or whatever so people who want to try try the, the the fourth edition chaos dwarf army list on the table one day um yeah that'd be wonderful to see and hopefully i can see some pictures of that happening uh soon mate so that'd be good excellent well thank you very much josh i really enjoyed uh coming on uh thanks for making the time and all that kind of stuff and uh let's i guess see each other around both communities definitely mate now thank you very much kendall for your time to come on today mate and i hope to come back onto your podcast or whatever whatever format you want want me to come back onto and uh, yeah, we can, we can, I can uh, talk to you guys about um, the Hero Hero Hammer Age and why it's why it's the best age <laughs> to get into Chaos Dwarves. But thank you very much for your time today. Really enjoyable uh, chat today, and I hope people will um, will get out their Chaos Dwarf collections and sell them to me. And to you. <laughs> Classic. Thanks so much. Bye okay, everyone. Take care. Thank you very much. <laughs>